0: Hello, it is Bring It In, a special bonus episode with me, Gerard Hector, our boss, Henry Abbott. How are you, sir? Hi, Gerard. And special guest, am I trying to figure out what to actually title her right now? Because she's just a woman of the people these days. <laughs> uh, the elusive Haley O'Shaughnessy. How are you, Haley?
1: I'm good. I'm really good, but I am fascinated why you've called me elusive. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: well. <laughs> well, funny you should ask. So Henry goes to me a week or two ago Oh, do you want Haley O'Shaughnessy in the podcast? Yeah, well, I just DM'd I her. She's going to come on. I go, huh, funny. Seems how I sent her a message months ago and got no response. Cool. <laughs> I was like, all right, all good, no problem. Yeah. That's over it. He's totally over I'm, it. I'm totally fine. Totally over it. All good.
1: What's the, what, what, what was the vehicle for the message?
0: No, so, see, this is where I feel like we have, a, have an issue, LinkedIn.
2: Oh.
1: I haven't been on LinkedIn in
0: See, there
1: we years. go. There I will, go. every time I get the email, sometimes um, there's someone that I worked with, so I mm-hmm. felt bad. I'd get on, I'd mm-hmm. add all the people. Um I'd even add people I'd never heard of because (laughs) you never know where free stuff is going to come from.
0: Um, See, a woman after my own heart. It's all about free stuff, Henry. That's really what it's all about. (laughs) Do you get free stuff through LinkedIn?
1: I have before. I'd say I usually get free stuff more um, from Twitter comments and certainly from Instagram comments, which um, if I had any shame I would not be proud of but it's free what what am i going to do <laughs> i was recently most recently offered free mushrooms on Whoa. instagram which i just think is amazing
3: like branded mushrooms
1: well this weed company who has sent me free stuff uh said that they are getting into mushrooms it's uh-huh. legal where they are um and I don't know if it's legal to send them, but they're doing it anyway.
0: <laughs> Might be some uh, interstate drug trafficking laws we're going, oh, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all nebulous right <laughs> the
3: now. The world we're not... is changing. In yeah, yeah. Universe, Let's be honest. We're not
0: like, really sure. Like
3: <laughs> None of us can say if someone can send you a bunch of mushrooms in the mail right now. <laughs> like, I mean,
1: none, none of us has said anything to suggest that the mushrooms are not um, or are magical, I guess I would say. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Oh, could they're be very definitely
3: could fucking be oyster you get too They could be <laughs>
0: portobello <could> <laughs> mushrooms. They could be, you know. Yeah,
3: this she- is straight Michael Pollan stuff right here for sure. Yeah, <laughs> there's not, let's not be around a <laughs> bush on that point. <laughs> like.
0: I love it. I love it. So uh, for those of you that know Haley, I'm sure you do if you're a basketball fan, she's been in and around and covering the NBA, writing podcasts for a number of years. But I want to kind of start with your journey. Yeah. Um, how did you get into basketball media?
1: Well, um, I did internships in college. I kind of decided this my senior year of high school, or maybe junior year, that I wanted to get into sports. Um, ooh, it's raining here. It's going to be such a nice background, especially if I get moody. Um, it, you know, I always wanted to write, and I thought maybe sports would good, be a good vehicle, I'm, where I come from a big sports fan family. Um, and so I did internships in college and it was great. College brought a lot of opportunities, but when I got out, I just could not get the job at all. I was a uh, waitressing for a long time and it's funny because a lot of the people who I would go and interview in the Louisville locker room, which is where I went to school. Like Luke Hancock would come in and be like, well, how's it going? Are you, you know, how's like the job stuff? And I just didn't, I couldn't. And then out of the blue, I mean, no one was responding to me. I distinctly remember there was a paper in, in Iowa and I was like, okay, this has got to be it. I'm going to move to Iowa. It's fine. You know, I'm sure they're, they've got a ton of great stuff there. Shout out I to really talked myself into it. Didn't respond. <laughs> they said nothing. Um, just out of the blue, I got an email from Mallory Rubin at The Ringer and she said, will you apply for this job? And so I did. And then, How um, did she know you existed? Well, you know, I only found out years later. I never asked because I, I genuinely thought maybe she mistaked me for someone else and I just <laughs> didn't want to bring it up. Um, but she told me years later that uh, Riley McAtee, who was my editor uh, for a couple of years at The Ringer and who's just like the best and most patient and uh, really smart guy was searching for people when the ringer was in its infancy infancy um, and just found something I wrote for sports illustrated uh, when I was an intern and not even like a proper intern, a campus insider mm-hmm. intern. So they had someone on every campus. We didn't have a journalism um, department at Louisville. So, you know, just kind of fell into it. Um, yeah. If we did, I'm sure I wouldn't have got it and uh then I, they hired me. They were starting to be interested in blogging more, and I just said, "Let me fill that space, you know me and it was It was interesting because Twitter has always played a role in my um career, and Bill came into the office one day and was like, "You know, you're just tweeting about like nets uh." I forget. I remember it was the Nets, but it was, oh, Nets-Wolves. He was like, you're just mm-hmm. tweeting about that. You just, like, really must like basketball. And I said, yeah, I do. And so then they just started letting me blog about it. Um, and Chris Ryan had a lot of faith in me doing that. And that was nice. And I learned a lot. And so you moved
3: to L.A. for that job.
1: I moved to L.A. for that job. Right. Yeah. Um, which is such a big adjustment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and From Kentucky. Yeah. And, uh, and then... Uh, some years passed and when i was 27 i started working with blue wire mm-hmm. they pitched me on um you know just an opportunity to do things that i was more interested in maybe sides of the sport that weren't being covered as much and so that was a fun mission for a while um, well let's wait a this is just so mm-hmm. spinsters
3: that you just wrapped mm-hmm. up 153 episodes and um it's hard for me to like summarize this show, but it was a very special thing that you did here. Um, off the top of my head. Well, no, not off the top of my head. Off the notes I'm reading, which yeah, I writing, written off my head. Um, <laughs> in the range of this show was like, you had real Russia legal experts talking about Brittany Griner. You had New York Times political reporter, Ased Herndon, investigative reporter, Jessica Luther, and then like Channing Fry and Adam McKay. And like, I guess I'm just kind of wondering, like, there, I feel like there's a thread. There was a vision that you had for this show. But what was it (laughs) like? Well, I want to understand it.
1: Oh, my God. I don't know. You know, at the beginning, I just thought, okay, how do we make this different? And I remember telling uh, Peter Moses, who hired me, I think it'll be different enough if we just have two female hosts. And then he really challenged me to say, is that really what you're interested in? Is that all you want it to be? And uh, I pitched them side by side with that, like a narrative podcast um, to do storytelling and just stories that weren't really told exactly because I I miss writing the features. That was my favorite part of working at the ringer. And I thought those could be similar. And then he said, why don't you just fold it into one? Mm -hmm. So we started trying to do features, but it was also conversations and we wanted it to be like a basketball magazine, but it was really hard to pull off um, with the size of our team. And so we, I don't know. I just wanted it to be different instead of bringing on always like an NBA insider, Mm-hmm. Like, when it came to the Brittany Reiner stuff, um, they have the access to ask the questions. But who can give more detail on it? Probably this guy who we found who's a professor of – who specializes in Russian law, you know, and who also happened to be a, a W fan. So that was cool. We didn't know that until he came on. um, And there were just – you know, I'd, like, talk to people who I found really interesting, like Hanif Adurakib, who's a poet, and Zach Stafford, who – um. God, he's done a billion things. But I think at the time he was the editor-in-chief of The Advocate, which is an LGBT um, magazine. And he came on and he was like, I really want to do something about Dennis Rodman's uh, gender fluidity and kind of looking back on it. And so we just had people who could tell these stories or even just share their perspective. And that was really fun to me. But I also wanted it to be my favorite podcasts are so relaxed and it's about the hosts um rapport with each other so I also wanted to have episodes where we were you know how we are sometimes like hungover and kind of slow and stupid <laughs> but you know giving those observations or just obsessed with something that didn't matter like the I don't know like the rockets from last year like why 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 are people upset you know why were rockets fans still watching them and like what draws them to that so i don't know we wanted it to be a variety i think sometimes we succeeded sometimes we failed but i also don't i was on heat check because john gonzalez like wanted me on and that was amazing um which was a podcast with the ringer but other than that i really didn't have podcast experience especially like creating one so i honestly didn't know what the fuck i was doing most of the time
0: and, and you did <laughs> A number of episodes and i think one of my favorites was the look back at um the nba understanding and dealing with hiv um and just sort of the conversations that you that you were able to tell and have on there and just i mean now when you think about it and you like it's just your your mind's blown because you're like wait you guys actually thought that and some of you probably actually still think that in 2022 like that's really bizarre and then there'll be an episode where you and jordan are talking about why does I don't think it was Carl Anthony Towns, but that's the first thing that came to my head. Why does Carl Anthony Towns wear that outfit at 3 a.m. when he's coming back from wherever he is in Las Vegas? <laughs> you know, like, that's but that's the perfect kind of mix, right? It's all the, this is the reality of it, but this is also, this is what, like, if you're out in Vegas and you come back to your house at 3 o'clock in the morning, that's what you're going to see, right? Some random NBA dude, like, that's a weird outfit. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> I think what we were gambling on was was that there were enough NBA fans out there who wanted that kind of mix. Um, because it was honestly a really selfish endeavor. Um, that's what I wanted out of a, a podcast. And, you know, obviously not saying I wanted to listen to myself. That was the worst part of it. When someone I've got me the best idea for a podcast. Like, oh, me.
2: It's so hard to
1: listen to <laughs> my voice. I'm like, wow, I'm like a little baby. Like sometimes I'll listen to myself and it's so high pitched. One time this guy was like, you're like a if Minnie Mouse took Molly. So that was oh, just- that's nice. <laughs> like, well, kind of true. But anyway, so I don't know and and I honestly didn't know if that was if that worked until we announced that we decided to 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 end it and there was just there were god so many nice messages and so many people who it did seem like it resonated with. So that was really nice. Um but yeah, it, again, it was just kind of a gamble and the whole time I didn't really know if it was working or not, but it was fun. It was fun to experiment in that way.
3: It felt like um, well, there was a pretty early episode about downtown girls basketball, which um had this I, I don't even really know. I mean, I think I've probably walked past it to be honest, but it's like in in the village in Manhattan, there are hoops games without men, um, competition, that people play in dresses, there's no fouling. Um, and uh Ari McManus, the founder, says, Dissolve the embarrassment and then you'll be free to have fun. And um it's just such a beautiful kind of like this is um, oh, at the end, there's this line about our common ground is basketball. And it kind of struck me. I'm like, man, like, it, that's the point of this sport, right? It's like, just come together and have fun, um, right? I mean, or is there something else?
1: I think it was fun to see a different approach to it because um, certainly the pipeline at every level for organized basketball that we observe has always been to win and to advance and especially for people who have uh promising, you know, talent to prove themselves and prove what co- what competitors they are. And uh the truth is like you know just from people I've talked to over the years and also from player observations uh and we had we did an episode on women's basketball um and how it evolved and there was uh the founder, the quote unquote founder of women's basketball. Um who it was, she just wanted people to be active. She wanted people to to feel that camaraderie and be active. And so I think there are different purposes of basketball, depending on where, what level you're playing in or where you're playing in it. But it's interesting because it kind of led me to forgive some of the players over the years who you're like, I just don't really think they like basketball, you know? And and that was like my huge gripe with Andrew Wiggins the entire time. I was like, oh God, I just he could be so much better you know and for i mean i just held on to the watching the wolves way too long but (laughs) i remember i also did a feature on andre drummond one time and i asked kcp in practice um when he was he must have been with the lakers already Mm -hmm. so they weren't teammates still um but i asked him like from his time playing with him in detroit do you think that he was genuinely focused on basketball do you think he loved basketball which in retrospect i don't know if i'd ask that question now those you know thanks to the ringer for letting me grow up in that way because i didn't have any journalism experience but he said no i don't think he does and i remember saying do you know that we're on the record do you know that and he was like yeah i do and that's that's fun you know that's kind of like who i learned kcp was but at the moment i was like oh i've got him like i've got the angle you know but yeah what the- what's it matter you know he's do do we all love our jobs no Um, does that not mean that we have talent in them? You know, for a lot of people, I think that was, that's a little bit unforgivable for fans. And since I've completely looked at it a different way, are, is basketball on every level going to be about the raw camaraderie that downtown girls basketball promotes? No. Does that mean it still doesn't serve a purpose? Uh, also no, you know, it, it definitely did. And those women have something that can be done without shame. You know, it's really, really hard to play a new sport as an adult. And even like, you know, I remembered I played softball when I moved to the Midwest when I was a kid, and I just was terrible. I was the worst. Like, I was so scared of this huge ball, like, hitting me in the eye. I hated it. And so I quit. And, you know, why? Like, it's not like I was going to go pro. There's no pro. It's not like I was going to go to college to play it. So I think overlooking that and seeing sports as something more than that is, it plays many purposes, camaraderie, forgiving our professional players, forgiving college players, you know, whatever you want to, whatever you want to say it is. I think it's not the same for the NBA. None of us can ignore that, but yeah, I definitely appreciated looking at it from a different level.
0: But there are differences though, right? Like, and you can find that in the NBA, because I think you wouldn't be alone saying that about Andrew Wiggins, right? Early in his career, I, I bet the average person would say that he seems to be loving his life now, right? And, and enjoying where he is, right? and so i think environment plays a big role, like, right? Maybe even though he's so supremely talented, being the number 1 guy in Minnesota like is not what he wants to do. But being an overqualified fourth guy on a team with Stephen Curry, i can do that. That's fun. Right? I well, like know, coming to this job.
1: Yeah, and sorry to interrupt you. That's a that's kind of what i feel about. I feel a lot of um what's the right word? peace like relief I don't know it might sound like hyperbolic that we're not doing the podcast anymore in a season where Russ opened it so brutally because it Mm -hmm. uh, I almost like I don't know how if if your listeners are going to feel like turned off by this I don't know if you guys are going to feel turned off by this but at what point are we going to stop? You know, at what point are we going to say he clearly does not fit the role that they've put him in? Have we learned nothing from, on one hand, Andrew Wiggins, as you're saying? Like, he, he didn't fit that role. He was put into that role um, by a GM and, and, and you know, by a coach now. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, I was talking to a GM one time, and it was, like, kind of on background, and he said, we paid – this player the market price for what we thought was appropriate at the time the player is not the one fucking up you know you're the one who fucked up and they are to get to the to work so hard because we know he's intense we know russ is so intense to work that hard um to get to the at one point top of your craft you know to to win mvp and then see it plummet down so quickly, do we not think that he's also suffering? Like, yes, your team is, but do we not think that he is also having a hard time with that kind of um humbling? And it's not is it really his fault he's been put in that position? And then also I I just can't stand the the piling on. Like at some point it's funny, but at some point it's also not. Mm-hmm. And I was just talking to our producer, our former producer um Harry, and he We were talking about, like, what is up with ESPN stats and info? I mean, they're literally not – you're not doing any service to fans when you're tweeting stuff that's, like, Russell Westbrook's the first player to go one for 11 on – and then it's hyper-specific, like, on a Tuesday under an Aries moon. Like, say something (laughs) productive. Say something interesting. We all know he's struggling. I want to hear about – you know, tell me something about the Blazers. They're having a really interesting oh, story. That's what I'm oh, talking about. You're then talking about
0: you're you're right. wheelhouse. I just forgot everything <laughs> I know, else you said. I know you- yeah. <laughs> I just <laughs> that, so that I bring it
1: up. But you guys know what I'm saying? I, I felt yeah. such intense relief that as much as you say you're not gonna talk about it, you ultimately have to talk about it. And that's another thing. That was another hard lesson from The Ringer. You know, I remember I pitched a story about the magic, and they were like you got to write about the Lakers and this was like years ago and it was another time when the they were
3: magical showing, but... Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just, it, if not to change completely, I've changed the subject. But sorry no. about that, but it's just, you know, it just feels harsh and uh, unnecessary to be honest. Um, I want to other...
3: weave together some things you just said when you're done. Um, I was literally taking notes. I like you've fired up things in my brain. And it's not about the blazers. Um, Are you done though? I don't want to interrupt you.
1: Well, real quick. I want to say that the other thing that Harry brought up to me, because my comparison was kind of more on the court and, and the Twitter response, what Harry compared it to. And you know, you never want to do a one-to-one when there's underlying, maybe, I mean, not underlying, we all have mental health things like being shit on is always going to affect Mm -hmm. how you feel. Um, and be especially being shit on to that degree but what he what Harry was telling me is like this just happened to Ben Simmons like we just saw this happen to him mm-hmm. and you can't harass a player into fitting the team better you, you just can't. And just all you're doing unlikely. is hurting them. Yeah. Very, yes, it's uh, highly very unlikely. <laughs> unlikely. I mean, tell me someone that that's really worked with. Genuinely, mm, tell me someone. And nobody if it's a player ever. in the 90s, <laughs> I don't want to fucking hear it because things are different now. <laughs> like,
0: a player in the 90s. Nope, not even them. That didn't even work then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: So, sorry. okay, Henry. Uh, the famous
3: Yui Blob story or uh okay so think about your drummond point right where it's like he he's basically kcp is telling you that he's not ocd right he's telling you that this guy's not like just wildly obsessed with his work which is probably pretty healthy right like you know um even though this is a highly competitive job it's still weird to be as aggro as we expect players to be right russell westbrook i would argue is right and um somewhere in these books for some project i did a while ago about lebron like i read about like how being that kind of obsessive like does makes you socially very strange right mm-hmm. and and it makes you a kind of i mean i'm not an expert on this but like um it has a set of factors that come with it one of which is you kind of get socially tuned out right and um lebron has turned off a lot of teammates with his like ardent overwork and his disgust for their being normal right like and I now? feel like, yes, yeah, so like too like, so Andre Drummond and Angel Wiggins get to bop along and be, you know, have ebbs and flows of their careers. But like Russ is like,
0: oh, I'm going to be Superman. He's going to be Superman every fucking day. <laughs> and like,
3: and it, that is a blindness, right? And I think that this is sort of how we got here, right? Like he, he took a sort of suboptimal shot selection mix from day one. <laughs> and he never listened to anyone about that. And he's never going to listen to anyone about that. And like. He's got certain super skills and certain weaknesses, and he's not very much in this trusting environment of give and take and ebb and flow. And he doesn't want to get to be on any tests, right? So he's getting Fs on tests now. And ESPN stats and info is tracking his Fs, right? And like right. <laughs> and I think that we do that a little bit, right? We like, I mean, so many times if someone acts like a normal, you know, somewhat vulnerable employee, we're like, step the fuck up, bro. Like, we need you to be a million percent. And like, I think that's sometimes entirely wrong. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and um, yeah. The other thing is, is I'm not saying that that Russ will ever bounce back to what he was at all. Can I? But I'm also not saying he'll never bounce back in a different situation to something productive. And I don't love how we call back to former players when it's it, it's selective. I guess it's just selective because look at there's a couple of players you could look at. Let's compare him to Carmelo Anthony, who kind of refused to also change. And on a, I think more um, obnoxious level, like you know, he, he didn't even want to be a bench player. Then he was extremely helpful. Um, not that long after, uh, you know, and took years to kind of think about it, work on his game. I think that those are go hand in hand. Um, but he literally took time off. To do maybe unwillingly, maybe not his choice, but he so took you he taste had time your humanity
3: off, a little there yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. another
1: comparison is Eric Gordon. Um, Eric Gordon had a year and a half where he was not he was not doing what he needed to do, like what the team needed him to do. he was not doing his explicit purpose. Um, you know he had a drought and he was brought up, but maybe like once a month. When it was like, hey, let's talk about the Rockets again. What's going wrong here? <laughs> to, never to the degree that someone like Russ is being brought up. Um, so the kind of patience and allowance to let him, I guess, like, quote unquote, get right is is not there. And again, I think that that's being put in the wrong role, which is the, the mellow comparison. Um, and also just constantly being confronted with it and trying to force him to fill something that he can't be um and and also the the money thing like we've got to stop bringing up the money thing I, i'm sorry it's just not the player's fault that they've accepted the most money that somebody is going to give them who's not going to do that that doesn't make any sense you know they're they're not the fact that we're like you have to earn your keep who fucking says that they've <laughs> given him this you know they, it's the same obsession i've made this comparison before. People are so upset with Instagram models because they're like, they don't have any talent. They just get money. They don't, who gives them the money? Like who gives them the money? They're not just, they don't give themselves the amount of money. They, they ask for it and they're given it. It's not their fault. And it's the same with NBA players. You can't fault them because you're the one who's watching. You're the one who's make, who makes these broadcast deals as big as they are. And that broadcast deal directly goes into the percentage of money that you're allowed to offer a player. And then who offers that player, that amount of money, the GM. So yeah. what are we talking about? You're oh, not for accepting though. that. It, it doesn't make any sense.
0: Haley, What's you're like? being too rational fans. You know, you know, how fans are fans don't think that way, but I'm with you. Right? Like, cause what you're talking about is the humanization of these athletes. And that's something that we do here at Trouba and I'm a big proponent of like, just because they do this one skill, real, and for most of them, that's the only skill they do at an elite level. Everything else probably not that good, but it happens to be a skill that, because of the environment they're in, pays them a shit ton of money. I'm sorry that you're five nine and you have to be like a teacher. Like I, I I'm sorry. Like I, I don't like, I, you know, bad genetics, whatever. That's just that's your lot in life, right? Like, but that's not theirs. And but when you're talking about
3: wait, five nine people have to be teachers? Is
0: that like a <laughs> well, rule? That was. <laughs> <laughs> when I at the, right, I was like, okay, who's going to be annoyed about their low paying salary that they love bringing up? I'm like, all right, teachers, perfect. That's the, that's an easy one, right? And ain't no five. I mean, unless you're Nate Robinson, ain't no five nine people in the NBA. That's not happening. Um, it this idea of the players and who gives it to them. you're the incentives are misaligned, right? GMs are trying to keep their job. Okay, so I draft this guy who's super talented because I think he's going to help me win, which is going to keep my job. Okay, but maybe he's Andrew Wiggins and he needs to be in the right environment. It's going to take him, I don't know, four years. Well, I don't have four years because if we don't win games tomorrow, like my right. And so it's this constant and the coach, Jesus Christ, like he's like, if we don't we lose two games in a row, he's literally feeling the pressure. Everyone's, you know, alignments and incentives are not are not together, not targeted. And this is why you have these poor issues, especially when they're done in in bad situations and bad franchises, you know.
3: Well, I think that like and fans, and I am a fan, and you know, I love fans. We're all fans. And we're stupid to make fun of fans because they're gonna make this show exist or not, right? Like, but the fact is, like, fans are hysterical and crazy all the time, right? And always. And I think there's like what I think what's happening when they get upset about Russ's salary, right? Is really um after we all have hard lives, things have happened, and you're hoping that the Lakers will dig you out of an emotional hole that you're in. And you just kind of need that to work because some other shit didn't work, right? And and then it doesn't work, <laughs> and you watch him brick after brick, and and you're like, well, crap! Like, what do we have to do to get you going right, right? And it's like, well, did you pay him enough? It's like, oh, we fucking paid him enough, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like I feel like he's supposed to just make some Laker dream come true in the fans' heart, and it's of course not his fault that that isn't coming true. Um, but i think this i think they start from this incredibly selfish place of just like just yes. make my evening more fun yes. like just delight me more and like whatever whatever happens in the back at the restaurant like i don't need to hear about it just like bring the scallops or whatever you know like <laughs> right. just bring the, the like...
1: right well and i also don't want to i'm not like chastising fans for being irrational because that's the basis you know that's Amanda.
3: me that's definitely all
1: in that, that one yeah. you know what, but it's it's like well you know i mean because all i've said is all i've done is like complain so far but i i don't think that that's that's not true like i i that's what is fun it's being irrational about mm-hmm. um you know, oh, that this is the year the Knicks are going to be good. Like, oh, this is the that's the player. You know, I mean, I'm not saying <laughs> That is always some has irrational stuff
0: right there. Yeah, I mean, I can remember
1: Louisville games. My brother did not change a shirt. Like, every single time. He wouldn't wash it either. Every Saturday, he put on that shirt. Did it um, work? He, oh, yeah, it did. That yeah. was a uh, 2012, 2013. Nice. Oh, that's two
3: it. Two. Nice, Haley's <laughs> like, brother. Thank um, you. Yeah, it's all
1: thanks to Tom. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm not suggesting that. I'm also not suggesting that all optimism has to, or all irrational feelings have to be optimistic or hopeful but when we're picking and digging in and it's to know Mm -hmm. uh it's not producing any change i mean you have to really ask yourself so what is the what's the point here be irrational about something like this guy needs to play point why do we have him here he needs to play point you know or be irrational about like why isn't ad setting harder screens like what is going on here you know Be irrational about this rookie is going to change, you know, take over for the Warriors. But being irrational about something and it not working and it clearly, it's just, I think it's upsetting to anybody. And maybe if you take a step back from Twitter, which is not the majority of fans, Mm -hmm. uh, but certainly it is the echo chamber of what we see. I just don't think it's productive or nice. Um, And at the end of the day, I just am a deeply, deeply sensitive person. And so I feel bad for them. And that to the point where I'm like, I really don't want to do this thing anymore where I have to be on Twitter. I really don't want to do this thing where I have to see what everyone's saying. Um, And that's from a couple of things. It's not just NBA Twitter, which I enjoy and participate in. It's also stuff like, I mean completely a changed subject like the, when I saw the there's like the to stay basketball there's the Britney Griner stuff I just saw a tweet yesterday that said that her appeal was denied and somebody quote tweeted that and said well what if it had been LeBron this would never have happened right which is you know a, a point worth making a point that's been made um And above it, somebody quote tweeted and said, me, if LeBron was stuck in Russia, and it was like some video game clip and this guy was like scaling a mountain or something. And I just cannot see the humor in that. And I also don't Mm. want to know that the three, you know, 31,000 people who retweeted it, like there's 31,000 people out there who would retweet it. And to not stick to basketball, When the Deshaun Watson stuff happened and like you make the mistake of reading the quotes to the comments and people just say the most awful things like what's the worst thing you do a quarterback could do to keep you on his team and or that is I mean they specified him and like he could kill my mom. I don't I don't want to see that shit like I don't want to see that there's so many people who think that way even if it's just uh, something they put on the internet they don't genuinely mean it i don't want to see that that feels terrible to me um and that's not obviously that's like way more than the than piling on a player who's not having a good time but you know that's just it's that is kind of sometimes how the internet is and i it's harsh
3: we were um so espn when i first got there had no comments and really there wasn't social media um i mean there was a little bit but barely and uh And then it kind of like all started. Right. And there was a lot of, and I was seen as like the digital guy. I I came from blog. So like, you know, some AP lifelong writer is like, you know, blaming me for what happens on the internet, right. (laughs) Like like in, in some meetings and such. And, um, that was a little awkward. No, that's but, envy. Um,
1: that was just envy. I'm sorry. <laughs> he was like, no, the Iconoclast is now working with me? I don't think so.
3: <laughs> no, but they'd be like, you know, like all these comments are just stupid. And for a while we were actually assigned. This was a terrible, terrible, I remember this. So like it was the playoff started at the same time ESPN.com got comments. And we were assigned to like after games, like hang out and comment in the comments. So the comments would seem like a more mm, vibrant place. But it was like three in the morning on the East Coast. and I'm like so tired i have baby or whatever i'm just like i don't want a great game by the thunder you know? but um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway but uh but i kind of because i was in these conversations a lot and then we launched the troop network with a lot of people who are dealing with you know twitter responses and stuff i was like i think you guys move five percent of the of the things you're going to hear from strangers online are by drunk teenagers i would just use this phrase because i thought it was funny which is like so just like just five percent like whatever like it's just gonna woo like you know like just no response it's not even about you it's just from like a ufo and but if it's 10 or 15 to 20 then like i right, maybe we should take a look at what actually happened right but that got me out of a lot of heartache just seeming like that know yeah. and i mean and that's basically where i still feel we are except i think the pandemic made that five <laughs> like mm-hmm. like like 25 right so yeah. now it's like the absolute normal level is so much that like you can't really get through any twitter lengthy thread without just some kind of crazy thing happening where it's like ah now it's just a waste of time right
0: and it's and you have that and you have bots now which are relatively sophisticated in how they tweet right so you're like get you a double take like Wait, is that a person and you're like oh no you just signed up yesterday never mind that's not a real person but like you'll you'll read the tweet and you're like hold on it's just the, the, the social media the whole thing, the the echo chamber, as you mentioned, Haley. It's just a bizarre place where people just go out there to spew a lot of negativity because that's the popular thing, right? And wh- whatever the anti thing, is, it's going to get me to go viral and retweet it and whatever. I'm just going to do it. And if you even think that if that's your ultimate end goal, right? Like that's also a person that like I don't, I don't, don't want to know you in that way, right? Like mm-hmm. if that is your goal, you're going to do whatever it is necessary to get that to make that happen i don't want to hang out with people like that or know people like that
1: yeah and oh god the other thing is that when when Spencer's ended and we saw all those comments i was like wow i really do i wish i could keep this because it feels but then i, I don't even know how to do that like you can't
2: <laughs> yeah. start a group
1: yeah. chat you can't like give your number to people you know i don't right, i just don't right. know how to do that like everyone seemed so nice that i would have done that but then you also just can't trust everyone like I don't know and people were saying just have them
3: all over your house
0: (laughs) (laughs) come on over have a party
1: yeah I don't know Thursday it's a a weird place it's not all a bad place I don't mean to make it sound like that but it it contributed to me being like "Ah, I just need a big time out
0: so so was a, a I mean what can you really tell us about the reasoning for you not wanting to be this deeply embedded in NBA media. Obviously you mentioned the, all the negativity around, is that the biggest piece? Like what, what really spurred this whole thing? I was like, all right, I need to take a break from this and reevaluate some stuff.
1: Well, certainly an element was just being forced to confront things. But if you have to be online to keep up with whatever, you know, like if you skip out on Twitter for two days, you're not going to see that. Um, that Carl Anthony Towns was kind of like weird towards Anthony Edwards about Mm -hmm. talking about fried food. Like you're not going to see that. And that Mm -hmm. is funny and that is interesting. Um, but so you do have to be online and when you're online, it's not just basketball stuff you're seeing. It's not just the Deshaun Watson's and the emails. You're not just seeing that, but you're just also seeing like weird discourse all the time and you get sucked into it. And it's just, it doesn't make me happy to have to be on there all the time. But it also, like, you know, I started doing this when I was 22. 22 is when I went full NBA. And to – there was certainly a point where it changed from I get to watch the NBA for my job to I have to watch the NBA for my job. And, um, you know, I just – I think that a lot of it was just internal freaking out. But if I didn't watch all of it and I felt like I was missing something and I felt like I couldn't form a unique – Opinion of my own, then I was mm-hmm. a maybe doing a disservice, but b like you know no matter how much we talk about it, no matter how much ma- how many more women get into
2: mm-hmm. sports
1: media, you're always gonna feel like it's yeah I'm not you know I have to be better, have a different opinion or have the the consensus opinion or see why there's a consensus opinion or whatever. It's just I didn't feel like I'd ever really measure up, and there are a lot of men who are in this and have, I've been in this for much longer. And so it was kind of an age thing. It was kind of a, you know, I'm a woman thing. I just don't want to miss out. And I just want to go to dinner sometimes with my friends, you know, and not wake up the next morning and be like, I have to watch this condensed game. I don't want to watch all the games. You know, I don't want to watch like things. I'm just really not interested in. Um, you know, I want to watch survivor on Wednesdays. Yeah. So th- that that was kind of a thing too. It just sucks up your life. And it's not like football. Where it's a couple months out of the year. It is literally <laughs> the season starts, playoffs start. Um, then there is the draft. The draft. Then there agency. is free agency. <laughs> then there is preseason.
0: Summer league before Summer that, League, yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah. Then
1: there's preseason. And then there's the middle of August and middle of September where you get to take a breath. And I just felt like I wasn't taking enough breaths. Um I would like to enjoy it again. I'm already enjoying it again. And I, you know, many people do this forever and always enjoy it. And I think that's amazing. But I'm just not someone who's designed that way. And I am definitely not someone who's designed to not change. And but it's time. It's really, really weird when you get your dream job at 22. um, Because you're kind of like then... Where else is there to go? Well, wait, what, (laughs) you know, what's next? Especially it's weird when you realize that you don't particularly like it anymore, or you just feel bored. Like my main thing was, I feel really bored and I feel really tired. And Jordan's main thing was my co-host main thing was, I really want to lean into the W and I want her to as well. And, um, you know, we wanted to make something we were proud of and then we did it and we were kind of a little bit over it, you know, for, for multiple reasons, but that's, That's what I'll say. I don't want to be cryptic about the company stuff. You know, they paid for the show and the narrative. Um, But you also, there's definitely a desire to make something of your own. I'm sure that you two feel the, it's better to, okay, let me rephrase this. I would always, I would suggest to anyone who wants to create anything, if you can afford it and if you can afford to wait, own your IP and own full creative autonomy um, because otherwise, it will be something different than what you envisioned, and you won't have full reign. And stylistically, that also became something that I did not. It felt like it was too far from me. I guess mm-hmm. I don't know. That all sounded a little cryptic.
0: No, oh, I get it. Mm. Henry especially gets it. <laughs> yeah,
1: I I know. And and I you know you. Yes, I do. <laughs> 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 He's like, don't sometimes
0: if you head. shake your head, you guys, sometimes people
3: will just describe to you like magical thinking powers that you don't actually have.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Mitchell, you get over that? Uh, listen, I, I we, uh, people like, you know, lots of things, don't you? I'm like, I do. In fact, mm. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what are you talking about? Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> I need to well, try that. Probably brushing my hair would be a good first step. You know? <laughs> I am enjoying not doing much with my days.
3: There was a little, um, just for our listeners. Um, when we first joined Haley on the thing too. She's like,
0: there's no video, right? <laughs> we're like, well, we do actually record a of videos. Oh, so. don't you worry, Haley. <laughs> I haven't worn makeup
1: in days. I'm dressed like a damn farmer, but. <laughs>
0: that's, that's you guys. are in Kentucky, Simon. You know,
1: I am but, in Kentucky. Yes, that that's is true. all good.
3: Um, what will be your new NBA routine? Will you, wh- how are you going to do this? Are you going to watch? Uh, I've you watched
1: know? like a, a game and a half, two games every night. And it's been yeah. nice. Um, and, you know, I just, uh I realize, like right away, I'm never going to be someone who can't watch highlights, but I'm certainly no longer watching condensed games. Um, I don't think I just, I don't think I will at all unless it becomes particularly interesting. And also it's really, really enjoyable to just pick a team and stick with it and kind of focus on that instead of like flipping on every uh commercial break or, you know, time out in, in league pass. So I'm enjoying that.
3: Well, I can tell you from like ESPN audience data, which was something I had to obsess about for a number of years, like every NBA writer obsesses over being like plugged into every topic so they can sort of spout off on everything. But the fact is like, then they just turn in like just tons and tons and tons of work. Right. And the fact is like 1% of the work drives all the traffic. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, whoa, whoa, what a lot of effort to do the, to stay up on the 99% of stories that nobody read. (laughs) you know like yeah and
1: it's always the team it's always like you have it's always the team like the lakers of course it really is if you're not talking about them it's i don't know how many people are going to listen and maybe that is just something we're making up maybe that's something like companies have told us that we've worked for but um what a not i mean just a supremely non-interesting team to me like so boring i would rather watch Rudy and Carl continue to not figure it out, which is an opinion that I'm (laughs) firming firmly holding. Um, then like watch the Lakers until something is a little bit different or I don't know. Last year I remember talking to Jordan, who's a Lakers fan, and feeling the same exact way. Why do I wanna watch this? I don't. And the minute that you have to start watching something, and like you said, Henry, you don't wanna be caught. Uh, not knowing something, like you never know, I could come on here and you guys could be like, "Well, and what do you think about the wait till um, our quiz round? The
3: kings, <laughs> you know, what do you think our about yeah. the kings?" <laughs> and it's not even
1: to say that the kings haven't had interesting elements over the year. It's just like I, I don't want to be caught not knowing something. Um, and that's really the
3: whole reason you have to stay up on everything, right? Yeah. Everyone's obsessed all night and watching it because they go on radio shows and exactly. Podcasts. If you just say no to all that, then you don't even have to watch The Kings ever. It's fine.
1: Yeah, and there's so yeah. much pressure internally. I, I wonder if people realize this, but there's so much pressure to, you have to constantly go on shows and you have to constantly, um, it, it has varied by the the company and, uh, and agent slash manager for me, but you know tweet, you need to tweet. And there are all kinds of these external things where if you want to take a breath, you really can't. And again, I'm not meaning to complain about this. I know a lot of people want to do this. I've I've talked to a lot of people over the years who are younger and want to know how to get into this. And I think some people are built for this. The only thing is, I'm not trying to complain. It just I'm not built for this. You know, I'm not built for an MBA news cycle for the rest of my life. I've, <laughs> it's only been like eight years since I've been doing it, and I just I'm not I, I'm not built for it. it uh, you it's know. a lot.
0: But your 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 point though about you know, managers and the pressure like, but that's again, we talked about with Russ, it's and Andrew Wiggins, it's everyone's incentives are misaligned, right? Like, your managers and your agents, whatever needs you to be popular to cut through all the dirt so you can get the next big deal, because that's important for them, right? Like everyone's, like, Haley, I know you need a break, but uh, it'd be really helpful if we can get you to do that, right? Like, it's just everyone's got their own thing that they're working on, right? And it's, it's not this cohesive team. I mean, Henry, we we're talking about, um, t- you know, how he said the Lakers. Like, you know, the thing that Henry always says to me and I always remember is, Gerard, here's what the data says. People care about three people in the NBA. LeBron, Steph, and then after that, maybe Kevin Durant. That's it. There- nobody else matters. In the- like, You can write the greatest story about who, nobody's going to read that thing.
3: No, we don't. Well, let me add a little wrinkle to that though. <laughs> like, like, the most popular stories in ESPN.com history weren't about any of those people. It's mm. like, you know, Kate Fagan on the University of Pennsylvania runner who, well, suicide, yes, right, like Madison Holleran. um, or Ethan and then Sherwood Strauss wrote a book, Strauss, wrote yeah, a book wrote on book. it, she was so yeah. popular, yeah, yeah, um, you know, for and so are the I, other
1: ones, do you have that data on hand? I'm just curious,
3: um, I know Ethan Sherwood Strauss on Steph's shoe deal that went awry, which totally yeah. blows it, up the point I'm making right now, yeah, so I don't yeah really messed up your point, but, but no, the, the
0: the NBA point, though, right, that on, on, on the NBA story is like those are the ones that move. And well, so okay, but there's a wrinkle though. So, like,
3: um, Haley's manager is right that, like, within um, I want to be clear, yeah,
1: I want to be very clear. My manager right now is an angel, like, sent <laughs> from heaven. He's an absolute angel. Wow. Last, the previous ones I've had a little bit of issues with, but Good job, he, Kenny. he's a very understanding angel who was like encouraged me basically to do this. So.
3: This is the main point. Of the it is show.
1: Kenny,
0: right?
3: I uh, yeah. love, you Kenny. Okay, Kenny. Yeah. love <laughs> you, Kenny. Um, so, uh so some of some stories have millions and millions of readers, and that's because they're like something Adam K would make a movie out of, right? Mm-hmm. These are like, these are the ones where you're gonna put all the time into it. You're gonna dedicate it half a year to one story, right? Because you have a relatable character and struggle, blah, blah, blah. That's really to me the traffic magic that people haven't solved in sports media very well. If you're gonna eschew all of that and just have the shitty, bottom feeding traffic that every boss thinks we should be focused on, which is starting at roughly a thousandth of the traffic of the most popular stories, then it matters if it's the Lakers or LeBron or Steph. And like, and the only thing that, and like, you're just, it's just a little game of like placement and timing and social media and all, all that shit is a churn around like a much, much smaller number. Um, and I think that that churn is eating everybody's souls alive. <laughs> and it's like, it's just, to me, all of it's missing the point, Like right? None of those are the best stories. Like the if, you, if, if the name in the headline is, is determining the traffic, it's not a mass and a story, right? Like mm-hmm. that's just them with the facts.
1: Well, can I say two things about that?
3: You can say 10 things about that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um,
1: the first is that I don't think we, I would have done the, the narrative stories on the podcast if it weren't for, um, Chris Ryan at the ringer, because he like, I remember one time I came to him and this was the, the time. Fuck. What was the year? Maybe 2018. I don't remember. Um, this was before John Wall got hurt, and, but Sadoransky was there. And I was like, I really think this guy's interesting. He's taking over some of his minutes, but like not just because they're monitoring his minutes. And I don't know. Maybe he'll become something. I'm not sure. And literally a backup, right, who was not whatever. He okayed sending me to Washington <laughs> I to remember that write story. a story about him. Yeah. And again, like I don't want to call him a nobody. Like everybody's a somebody, but he was not a starting player. And it was nice too, because his uh, he was open for like whatever I wanted to do. He was so open to doing an escape room for me that later one of my <laughs> friends told me that um, there was a rumor that his agent uh, okayed everything that went in the story, which is just not true at all. Um, but that's how open he was talking to me and whatever. It was like all very European, which I really appreciated. <laughs> um, and Yeah, and Chris let me do that. And then just by happenstance, like John Wall, that's when all the stuff happened about there was all this, um, you know, uh, they were all disagreeing in the locker room. And like when Sadoransky was playing, they had far more success. And Gortat was like, uh, he, well, actually, no, I think Gortat commented on it after the fact. So that was a, the previous year, but I don't know. There was, a, he, he starred in the starting lineup because John Wall wasn't there and he had great success that year. And um, so, you know, sometimes those things work out. So we decided to take a risk on things that maybe people didn't give a shit about. We didn't know what people gave a shit about. Um, so that's one thing is that, Henry, to your credit, like taking that risk and having someone who's going to let you take that risk. And sometimes that's a company who can afford to let you take that yeah, risk. Yeah, you got to be I, able
3: to, yeah, that's expensive. It
1: really be- boils yeah. down to me to having an editor who's going to let you take that risk mm-hmm. Um And then the second thing is that those smaller stories that I would write that were more like bloggy and would take, you know, like a week of research or like a couple days of research and watching these teams. But, you know, for example, like the Wolves, I got really close to, to Wolves Twitter because when you take the time to understand the team and not just breeze over it and do some kind of surface level thing, that fan base then really I think you gain respect with them, and to me, that was the most enjoyable part of Twitter was you know the conversations that you have with fans who maybe feel like their team is not being fully understood i I just it's not that hard to really um concentrate on a team and get to know them to a point where people are going to respect what you're saying, so those are my favorite parts, you know, like the maps when the when when Luca was brand new, everyone was writing about them, and Chris was uh. He was, he kind of said, Why don't you write about the way Luca moves instead of just how he, he fits in the offense? Like the, the actual literal way that he moves. And so that was really fun because then you get to watch, like, I, re- <laughs> I took videos on my phone. And then I would do the slow-mo on Snapchat because I wanted to see it because it is very confusing. It's it's not itself very fast the way that he moves, but it's just the way that he's able to sell it and this like center of gravity that he has to be able to really lean in. And when you can embody a player like AI in certain situations but not have the same body or physique at all, it was just fascinating. And so those kinds of things too, I think, earned just a little bit of respect and – um. Those are my favorite things to do. Those are my favorite like conversations to have with people on Twitter.
0: Haley, that Lucas story, thing about him, his movement—that is right up Henry's alley. He oh is like, dude. oh,
1: this is oh, exciting. I know, I know, I know the blueprint when I'm talking to him.
3: <laughs> this is I'm Writing a book about that. You're yeah. gonna write a book about that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I, yeah, I could, let's not go down that rabbit hole. Right now. I could, like <laughs> talk about Luca moving. Um, it does though. I have to admit I have a bad brain to observe things. Like I just do like, I mean, I, we work with David Thorpe who would see a little clip of Luca and be like, no, no, he thought he was going to do this and all about Like in David, like, and you, it's correct. I've, when I first met David, I thought he was crazy. And then I would go and take things that me to the locker room and say, it, and they'd be like, yeah, that's what happened. And I'm like, I guess he's not crazy. And, uh, and, uh, And, like, it's all this little stuff that he sees, and, like, and and I used to have a kind of DVR that would do beautiful slow-mo. So, like, Mm -hmm. you could DVR, like, a game, and then you could play it back and like, super slow-mo, and I was, like, that made it so I understood the game. (laughs) But, like, (laughs) but, like, at the crappy, kind of grainy, like, slow-mo, like, it's, it's hard for me to, like, know if that was a foul or not. Right? Like it's um I just don't see it very well. My worst nightmare was oh. to be a ref. Like I would be the oh. worst. Oh, Lord God. almighty. I
1: I haven't repped a basketball game since I was in Botswana and forgot to call.
0: Whoa, a whoa. This is story. <laughs> remember that time Start I was in Botswana life. and I and I repped the basketball game? <laughs> we might need
3: a little more context. Yep, no, I'm
1: sorry. I can't even get I mean, I just brings up like such bad memories that everyone turned to me and was like, Are you Fucking serious, you know, but of course not in those words. But you can read body language, and you, know, you can read body language. So that was my uh, my final time. I will never ref a game again. And but why were you to... refing a game
3: in Botswana, just, just in case uh...
1: no, come up? Um, I was also I used to ref uh, girl soccer in uh, like middle school games yeah, when I was in high school, and yeah. <sighs> no,
0: you're getting like, some nasty, nasty parents, parents, parents coming at you. Oh yeah, my God. Those oh
1: yeah. Parents... I think I would rather deal, if I was confronted with it, I would rather deal with adults on the court than parents of middle school. Like, you'd have to do an adults game, but to to your point, I, I also have a hard time with, like, in the moment, you know, recognizing a foul, but on the replay, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, um, it was. It, or it wasn't. It, it, you know? These
0: guys are too big and too fast. Like well, Yeah,
1: that, that really is it. And like, honestly, you... a lot of them are really deceptive, and I think yeah. that, to their credit, they sell the hell out of it. Like, that is part of their profession, so um yeah
0: and it it taps into that part that. of our brains too right that like something happens and we think we anticipate the outcome right so we so a ref will blow his whistle like you're probably going to foul him he's like but I didn't right like you just think I did i don't even touch him right you go get the replay you're like shit you're right like, and
1: henry like to your and i's <laughs> credit think about how often the refs get it wrong so if we get it wrong you know professionals get it wrong too i don't know like how much i'm going to call the refs in the nba professionals <laughs> sorry <laughs> Jesus Christ. We did Like this that Suns game on, last night.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, a little we rough. A little rough that game. A yeah. little
3: bit. Yeah. Thorpe is always like, why don't, he's like, if, you know, he's like, flopping is only a problem because they're calling fouls they didn't see. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you hmm. only call the fouls you see, you wouldn't have a flopping problem, which is like, first I'm like, David, it's way more complicated than that. And then we spent <laughs> like years on it I'm like, oh, that's fucking of true. I'm curious what, is his, <laughs> uh, what, his, what
1: right. his solution is to call a foul that you don't see. What does he mean by that? So like basically, do
3: that? so um, if, um, you know, a player like flails backwards and you didn't see them get shoved, then you don't call it.
1: Mm-hmm. But he's saying if they, if they did, is he saying if they only could, as in like, there's no solution to it? Or is he saying that there should take a different approach?
3: So I think what David doesn't understand is that he has a supervision of the court. He sees it better. <laughs> and so he thinks that refs see it like he does and are just sloppy. Right. But they don't see it like you know, he does. I think David's problem. like, no, like, like, he's like, you know, these guys are flying backwards because it often results in a call, even though I know when the ref blows his whistle, he didn't see the shove because there was no shove.
1: Yeah. Right? I mean, I don't want to pile on those guys who were like anti fans earlier this week who said everyone needs credentials. But something that <laughs> yeah. was unusual, you know, like you're pointing that out, this guy is not a trained ref. He's not a, a basketball player. But some people who are, um reporters you know credentialed or just fans but certainly not in the profession of of refereeing like do have excellent court vision yeah and I, you know that's just some people like have that skill so good for him yeah yeah you know, and, and, and yeah
0: david you know he years before when i first heard of Montreal on espn you know his big thing was when you watch a basketball game try to not watch the ball right mm-hmm. and i'm like david that's really Hard to do. Like my eyes keep wanting to pull back to the basketball. Well, like, you
1: know when you're getting into football, <laughs> watch the offensive line. That's what every yes. dad has ever told their son or daughter. Ever and
0: <laughs> exactly. And then
1: you understand where where the just ball watch the line. And,
0: th- and then yeah. you graduate, so you're watching all 22 film. It's like, all right, look at this. And it's like, oh, I don't. This is, this is crazy talk. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's 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 crazy. But I I think, that, but he's David's right on that point, right? Like you you're refing the outcome. Someone fell down, so he must have gotten hit maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but if you didn't see him, just don't call it regardless of what said player who fells reaction is going to be when he gets up.
1: God, I am kind of invested in like something that does fascinate me is why are they still so bad? And I don't think that they're so bad in a way that fans and, and viewers and coaches are being hyperbolic about and players are being hyperbolic about. I genuinely think they are not up to par and, um, that can't be their fault anymore after a certain time if you keep them on the court. But I Mm. really don't understand why some kind of change hasn't been made. And I believe last year they did talk about like doing an off-court training again. Maybe. I don't know. I don't really remember, but it's just something that fascinates me because I don't, you can tell because now I'm talking really fast, but I don't understand it. Like why they still, um, well, well, we'll let look at this. It's a professional league. If there's so much money on the line, even if you're a little incompetent, you're incompetent.
0: I'll, I'll say this: they're far superior to NCAA refs. Like Who's far, your NCAA team? refs are the NCAA. Mm-hmm. I I don't have one. I just I I can I can barely watch college basketball anymore. Like it's just I I, I just Why? can't do. it. As to me, the product is so subpar. Like it's, You'd
1: need a team. It's it's true. You got to stop washing your shirt, Gerard. You got to stop <laughs> washing your shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you're, uh, no, I, I mean, I really think if you don't grow up with a team, it's it's it'd be harder to watch college. But like, but I I mean, eighties, nineties,
0: early two thousands. Like, I was heavy into college hoops. Loved it. Like when the biggies had like AI and Ray Allen and come out. Like, love that shit. Like now, I'm like, I can't turn this on. This is just, I can't.
1: Well, that's fascinating because now there are more one and duns than ever. So you you could argue that the pro talent is uh, yeah, is even more today.
0: I, I think what it is is I don't love that, like, the coaches micromanage everything in college. Like, I think that drives me nuts. I'm like, just let them grab the rebound and go. Like, why did the and ask you what to do next? Like, take the training wheels off. It's fine. If they mess up, it's cool. Don't worry. It, it'll be okay. I promise. But, you know, see Tommaso screaming on the side. I'm like, dude, all right, you missed the box out. I get it. Like, he gets it. Like, it's cool. No need to fucking lose your mind. Like, it's fine.
1: Yeah. I, I genuinely don't. If you don't have a, an investment in it, like a, a real emotional investment in it, I can see yeah.
3: that. No dice for me. What's the lesson, Haley? What's the, what's the after all the work have been spinsters and now you're home reflecting, like, what do you take away from that?
2: Hmm.
1: Was this on the list of things you you <laughs>
0: It certainly was. <laughs> I think it was actually, yeah. Uh,
1: you know, I think we we definitely feel proud of the stuff that we were able to do. Um, like the the Jessica Luther episode, for example. Like you guys mentioned, she's just That's like cool. the pro's pro of mm-hmm. um reporting on this stuff. But I also Take that episode as completely evergreen, because when this happens again, um you can listen to it, and she tells you the ways to talk about it that are the correct ways to be neutral um right now, because the ways we we talk about it now, the language we use, such as accuser, you know um oh, what's another word she said uh. You know, when the language we use right now is not fair. You're mm-hmm. you're planting a seed in the brain of people who um, are reading it. And it's it's simply not neutral. And also a lot of the facts like, Well, why did she do a civil case? Why wouldn't she have done a um you know, uh what's the other one called? Jesus Criminal. Christ. Criminal. Sorry, I'm off coffee this week. Um What? <sighs> I'll tell you that in a minute. <laughs> but anyway, there are reasons to it, you know? Yeah, keep laughing, keep laughing. I'm just um, struggling. I'm there's struggling. There's a reason with that. I'm yeah. not wearing makeup, okay? I'm sleepy. But anyway, the, <laughs> all those things I thought were essential, they're helpful. If you want to learn, if you're the kind of person who's willing to open your mind, like, she gave a manual to people. You know, I've learned so much from her, and also it was so fun to just have a, an outlet where Jordan and I could just like yell sometimes. I think that that was really fun, and sometimes yell excitedly, and sometimes yell like we were really disappointed. um And yeah, I think I, my feelings are I'm, I'm proud of it. uh My other you know lesson learned is uh, again I'll repeat it: if you're considering doing something like this, you know if if you need the money, of course go to a, a company. But I would suggest that if you can own your IP, you know, write it in, um, or at least write in something where you get full creative control. And um, otherwise, things won't exist in your vision. And if you are being given that chance by a company to let something exist that you're running, it's because they know that your vision is worthwhile. Um, So let them treat you like that.
0: Those are good words, sobering words. Mm-hmm. I think for us, for us to close this out, Haley, I, I want to say first thank you for joining us. Um, and as someone who has enjoyed your work on multiple platforms, your written work and your your audio work, um, this was great. I re- really, we really enjoyed speaking with you.
1: Thank you, thank you so much, you. and also thank you for all the nice things you said about the the podcast i really appreciate it so
0: wonderful wonderful clip it out um, and send it to my name i mean first of all spinsters like that's just so great and then the tweet like oh george mary guess we're not spinsters anymore <laughs>
1: <laughs> the name is all credit to sir it nice. so really she came- yes she came nice
0: i like yes. it sir sounds about right that sounds yep.
3: like a sir thing exactly. sir was on this show when the pandemic started mm-hmm. and she was out of toilet paper <laughs> she was like <laughs> <laughs> <Henry>. <laughs> I was almost as worried about syrup in that period as uh, you without the coffee right now. Like, <laughs>
0: like,
1: I I didn't drink it for two days because I'm like, well, I'm not working right now. So like, why do I need coffee? You know, just,
0: Oh, you're like, I need it.
1: And then I got the migraines, the, like the headaches that you get when you have a withdrawal. And so then I started getting freaked out and I was like, well, I at least need to wor- wait until these are gone. Cause I don't want this thing to control me. And it's, um, you know they're kind they're mostly gone, but I don't know just i am um,
3: I went to n y u in the early nineties and have a certain kind of like awareness of very, very hard drugs. And um, it kind of makes me feel like, you, eh, you know, I, I'm a drug addict. Yeah, I am. But it's, it's like dark roast, you know, like I think I'm going to make a dark it, roast you know, <laughs> like, like I just like, yeah. my wife and I were the curtain and Courtney of dark roast. Like you, just, you, you, like, you were
0: seeing some interesting things at Tompkins Square Park in the early 90s. You yeah, have it's... no idea. No, no, yeah, no. Actually, I yeah, do.
3: Yeah, I, have, yeah. I have a very good idea. All the drugs. Were, I mean, not that, like, I, I wasn't using heroin, but like, but it was, it was literally the time and place they were later made rent about, like, that's where when went where we lived and it seemed
2: yeah, like that that, that was new york in those days That's <laughs> no <laughs> man we we're just broke <laughs> <laughs> all right guys we hope okay. you enjoyed the
0: special bonus episode and we will see you next week take care